Life can be tough. We're busy. Don't have time. Overwhelmed. We're binging. I don't have time. I'm overwhelmed. We're bruised. I needed me. I don't have time. I'm overwhelmed. I can't help it. We're bothered. What's next? We've got baggage. I don't have time. We will get. I can't get help. What now? What's next? It hurts. The new normal. Hey, hey. So good to see you. And I don't often get the chance to say what I'm about to say, and I'm going to just enjoy it. The weather right now in England is better than here, baby. <laughs> yeah, what's going on? Also, you probably heard we've got a royal baby. How many of you heard about that? Yeah, they didn't call it Jeffrey as requested, but uh, we have a royal baby. How many of you had heard that? Just raise your hand. How many just don't give a rip anyway? Just, okay. Well, really good to see you. We are in this series called The New Normal. We're asking questions about whether we are living God's way according to his plan or have we accepted a way of life that is less than the best, but we just do it because it's all part of the new normal. And just to review, three weekends ago, Pastor Darry kicked off the series by talking about our busyness. We are busy. We looked at the, the story of Martha and Mary. We can feel busy at times because we want to be validated. Uh, we asked the question, was Jesus busy? And then Pastor Darry followed it up the next week by talking about binging, binging, where we are indulging to excess he called us to self-discovery, to seek support, and to seek to break binging patterns that can be established in our lives. Last weekend, Pastor John Mel, who does a great job leading a great team over at Windsor, he talked about bruises, looking at the story of Joseph, but going on from there uh, and looking at Jesus, especially in Gethsemane and the Apostle Paul as well. Uh, this weekend, we're talking about being bothered, about being bothered. We're talking about worry. Now, um, this is kind of weird because uh, I've been a little worried about this message. How many know it's weird to be worried about a message on worry? There's something wrong with that. Uh, and the reason for my concern is because this, together with the other issues that we're looking at, this is a very complex subject. And... Whenever we start to talk about these issues, we just have to affirm that we're spending 26 minutes looking at this, uh, and these issues are very complex. And so here's how I feel we should approach this. In fact, here's how I feel we should approach every weekend here at Timberline, and that is that we view this as a visit to the grocery store rather than stopping by a fast food joint. Now, let, let me explain what I mean by that. I, I like going by the fast food places and going through the drive-throughs, although as I've repeatedly shared, I never, because of this accent, I never get what I order. <laughs> never. And I order a hamburger and fries and I get 47 apple pies and it's a big mess. But I like the fast food thing because I can go, I can get my meal, it's all prepared, I can eat it, hooray. But that's not what this is about. This is a visit to a grocery store. When you go to the grocery store, you don't get the meal, you get the ingredients. And you have to go away with those ingredients and carefully 
work those so that you then get the meal. I would not insult your intelligence by suggesting that we can solve the issues of worry in 24 minutes. But we can look at some vital ingredients that I pray will be of help to us. So we're going to look at some words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and then some words from the Apostle Paul in Philippians. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And then writing to his friends, the Philippians, he says, the apostle Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All this talk about uh, car washes reminds me of uh, something that happened many many years ago when I attended a leadership conference. Regular timberliners will know that I have an almost limitless supply of embarrassing stories about myself where I navigate from one gaff to another primarily for the entertainment of the wider Christian public. I often feel like a kind of Mr. Bean with a Bible really. It's really <laughs> rather weird but I'm grateful. Uh, I mean this happens because God has given me a superlative gift of ineptitude and this fuels all of these episodes but on this occasion it was not me in the embarrassing situation. I was attending this leadership conference, this high-powered leadership conference. Even the name of the conference was intimidating. Something like bionic apostles and prophets together for the salvation of the universe by next Tuesday. Hallelujah. Something like that. And I showed up and I looked around at all the other leaders and they all looked fluorescent, certain, assured, They'd probably been singing hymns in the car and they read Leviticus before breakfast. Now I'm a bit intimidated. I go to the first session. I feel even more intimidated by the perfect person who stands on the platform. And the next morning I don't go down for breakfast. Kay was not with me and you just sit at a table with whoever and I'm sitting opposite this lady and I, I looked across the table at her and she looked like woman of God. She just had that look like woman of God. And I, I said, good morning. She said, good morning. I said, my name is Jeff. I thought she would say, yes, I know. 
She introduced herself. I said, have you had a good week? She said, no. It's been rough. And outwardly, I, I, I said, oh, I'm sorry. But inwardly, I felt a little joy. <laughs> because a woman of God had had a bit of a rough week, which made her human. So I said, well, what happened to you this week? She said, well, I took my family along to the car wash. Now, I didn't blink when she said that, but that's a bit weird. A family outing to a car wash. Gather round, children, for I have a token. Let's have fun. She said, I took my mum and my kids to the car wash, and she said, I, I, I wound down the window. By the way, notice how long ago this was. She wound down the window. Younger people here, there was a time in human history when we had to wind down the window. And yes, I know I'm doing it on the right-hand side of the car, for we in England drive on God's side of the road. She said, I wound down the window and, and then wound it back up just to check that it was securely there. And she said, as I did that, the handle came off in my hand and the window fell all the way down into the car door and the brushes are spinning and the water is coming. <laughs> now I'm beginning to feel a little song in my heart. And I expected woman of God to just say that she commanded the window. Rise up! In Jesus' name. But no. I said, what did you do? She said, well, I looked around the car to try and find something that would create an airtight seal to prevent us all from getting drowned. And she said, the only thing that would fit was my own bottom. <laughs> what joy flooded my soul. sitting across from woman of God and I'm thinking why didn't you just reverse out of the car wash I suppose in a way she did really didn't she <laughs> but what was really bizarre was that she was describing behavior which she seemed to think was perfectly normal normal a new normal where we unthinkingly live in a particular way because it's the way it's done. And part of that is worry. We're worried. It seems like the new normal. We're bothered. We're worried about what was, what is, what might be. We're worried about the past, the present, the future. We're worried about pe what people think of us. Someone has said wisely, we would worry less about what people think of us if we knew how little they think of us. It's increasing. In August 2018, Barnes & Noble announced a 25% surge in the sale of books about worry year on year. Worry. One person described the situation like this. I have a list of possible problems in my head. If all the real problems are solved, I turn another one into a problem so I can worry about it. These are constant facts of life. It's not increasing. It's always been like this. And we all know as individuals different symptoms of us being worried. Peter Scazzaro, who wrote the book, The Emotionally Healthy Church, he talks about some of the signs of his worrying. He says, I'm rushing and hurrying. My body's in a knot. I'm doing too many things. My mind cannot stop racing. I'm driving too fast. 
I'm not able to be fully present with people. I'm irritable about the simple tasks of life, like waiting in line at the grocery store or not being able to find the perfect parking space at church. I'm skimming over time with God. Here's another one that happens to me. I panic. It happened 10 minutes ago. I wasn't going to tell you this, but let's go for it. Worship was just coming to an end. I was just about to come in here and my message is on my iPad and I couldn't find my iPad 10 minutes ago. Nine and a half minutes ago, I could not find my iPad. (laughs) Occupants of Pluto could hear the screaming from my office. Where is my iPad? It was plugged in where I plugged it in. (laughs) We have different symptoms worrying and in the midst of all of this in the midst of this Jesus says don't worry what don't worry and it can sound almost unreachable now before we go any further I'd I'd like you to help me with something I'd like you please uh, just to stand right now if you're able stand right now if you're able some of you are getting excited you're thinking is he done God answers prayer. No, I'm not done. But before we just go um, any further with this message, I'd I'd like to just ask you to do something. Um, I'd like to ask you, please, just to uh, take off now and fly around the auditorium a couple of times and then go back to your seat uh, and take your seat. So after three, everybody. Ready? One, two, three. Go! Yes, Some of you are actually flapping your hands, which (laughs) perfectly normal. I have just asked you to do something which is utterly impossible. And we can feel like that when we hear these words, don't worry. Yeah, really? But Jesus would not ask us to do something that is unreachable. With his help, it is possible to live differently. So... You've had a long flight, so take your seats right now. That will be good. So what can we learn here? First of all, if you're following in the bulletin, first of all, the reality to face, life involves trouble. The reality to face, life involves trouble. Jesus said, verse 34, each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, yesterday at, at our house, I was listening to the radio and um, this country song came on. I'm intrigued by some country songs. And uh, you might be familiar with this one. It just, I've never heard it before. It's familiar to some of you. I know. All my exes live. Whoa. All my exes live in Texas. And that, that's why I hang my hat in Tennessee. It's precious, isn't it? Some of these other country songs, I'm not making these up, these are real songs. My wife ran off with my best friend, and I sure do miss him. It's terrible. Here's my personal favorite. When you wrapped my lunch in a road map, I knew you meant goodbye. And here's another one. I'm so miserable without you, it's almost like having you here. But here's another ridiculous song title. It's Don't Worry. Yeah. 
Don't worry, be happy. Bobby McFerrin, based on a slogan by the Indian mystic Meha Baba, who when he died in 1969, his final words were, don't forget that I am God, a statement that was, of course, entirely wrong. And so is the idea that Jesus is teaching, don't worry, be happy. That's not the heartbeat of this. Jesus is delivering these words to an oppressed people living in a land occupied by the Romans. Crushing taxes are being exacted. There is political uncertainty. Jesus doesn't say, don't worry, be happy. I remind us again that sometimes we can discount ourselves, exclude ourselves. We think, well, Pastor Jeff, if you just knew what I was going through, you, you, you'd never preach on this. These words were delivered to an oppressed, downtrodden people. And Jesus affirms, we're going to have trouble in this life. John 16 and verse 33, he says, in this world, you shall have trouble. That's not my favorite verse. I've not got that on my Christian refrigerator. And Jesus spoke these words. He's on his way to a cross. So wherever we're at, this is for us. There will be trouble. Secondly, there's a certainty to celebrate. There's a certainty to celebrate. There is a God who cares. There is a God who cares. Jesus says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And then Peter in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. These verses are saying there is a God and he cares. Is it possible that part of the addiction of worry that there is in our culture is that we have been drip-fed the idea that we're alone. There is no help. Stand on your own two feet. <clears throat> Professor, Professor Richard Dawkins, who writes books that for some reason intimidate Christians, he says this, in our universe there is no design, no purpose, no good, no evil, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Hold on. No good, no evil. A few weeks ago, I stood at Had Vashem, the memorial to six million Jews who perished in the Holocaust. If I take that statement at face value, it's a neutral activity. Of course there's good and evil, and what happened to them was evil. Quentin Smith, listen to this message. Quentin Smith said this, we come from nothing, for nothing, and by nothing. We should acknowledge our foundation in nothingness and feel awe at the marvelous fact that we have a chance to participate in the incredible sunburst that interrupts without reason the reign of non-being. Hand me my tambourine. (laughs) The truth is, God says he's with us. Some years ago, I learned, I trained to scuba dive and we had this scuba dive instructor an ex-navy seal with muscles in places where I don't have places (laughs) he was cool he was smooth he was tanned he was freckled I'd struggle to put my oxygen tank on and he would throw his up in the air and it would land on his freckled shoulders 
One night we went night diving with manta rays. You put a flashlight, you sit on the ocean floor, you have a flashlight. The manta rays see the plankton in the light. They line up, it's like a fast food joint. They line up and they swoop down and they rub their belly on your head as they go by. And with this haircut, I was especially popular with the manta ray. You may not be aware of this, but in the world of the manta ray, I am Tom Cruise, baby. And there were moments of fear and moments of terror, but our instructor said this. He said, I'll be with you. It'll be all right. A few days ago, Kay and I baptized people in the River Jordan. The River Jordan, here's a photograph of the baptismal site. The River Jordan, over that side, the other side, is Jordan. And this side where the railing is, that's Israel. This is the border. And normally, uh, on the day that we baptized, there were Israeli border guards with machine guns standing there. There are normally Jordanian border guards, the other side, with their machine guns. It's a very warm and welcoming environment. Now, you can see the first barrier. You're not supposed to go beyond there. And you see the second rope in the middle. That's the Jordanian border right there. That's the Jordanian border. Well, the water wasn't very deep, so Kay and I had to go beyond the first rope, which was a bit naughty, but we just had to do it. And, and uh, that put us quite close to the Jordanian border. Well, all was going well until someone who's become a good friend now, uh, who I won't name because I don't have their permission, firstly, and secondly, they're here in this service right now. <laughs> when we went to baptize him, he was rather enthusiastic. And as he went back, uh, he sort of threw himself back a little bit and partly emigrated while being baptized. <laughs> His head, I'm sure, was in Jordan, the rest of him in Israel. And the Israeli guards came down a little concerned, but what was even more amusing was that as he went back, Kay and I were thrown, and we both went completely underwater and were swimming around trying to find our way, and we reappeared to the joyous laughter of all who were spectating. Such was the compassion in their hearts. Why did that happen? It happened, actually, because Kay and I had not planted our feet firmly enough on solid ground. We need to plant our feet on the truth of God being with us. Kay and I have been married now for 40 years. We have this morning routine. We, every morning for the last 40 years, the first one to wake up says to the other one, do you want a cup of tea? And the other one always says yes. There's never been a no. 40 years. I mean, we're British. We know that God invented tea for mornings. So every morning, it happened again this morning. I wake up and I say, Kay, would you like a cup of tea? And she says, yes. And I know she wants a cup of tea. But it is my morning routine. This morning, I changed my routine. And as I swung my legs off of the bed and put my feet on the ground, I said, Lord, today you are with me. 
You are for me. You care for me. Honey, do you want a cup of tea? A morning affirmation. A baby step, if you will. I love what Emily Dickinson said in one of her poems about Jesus. She calls him the auctioneer of parting. How beautiful. Never alone. Thirdly, there's our response to that revelation. Our response to that revelation, the futility of worry. The futility of worry. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Jesus is not saying don't work. The birds are industrious. He's not against planning. But effectively, he's saying, please know that worry is a waste of life. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, we are always getting ready to live, but never living. And the word worry in the Greek comes from two words, one of which means divide, the other means mind, a divided mind. The old English word for worry means to strangle. Worry strangles the life out of life. And you know, don't you, as I do, it has a vivid imagination, particularly in the middle of the night. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? It has a vivid imagination. Mark Twain said, I am an old man and have known a great many troubles, but most of them never actually happened. It's been said that worry is interest paid on troubles before it becomes due. A survey taken about worry asked people what they were worried about and what happened. The result of the survey was that on average, only 8% of the things that people worried about actually came to pass. 92%, it never happened, but they worried anyway. Reminds me of the story of a man who woke up in the middle of the night to discover a burglar who had broken into his home. And the man said, hi, you need to come and meet my wife. She's been expecting you for the last 30 years. Worry is, to adapt a Brené Brown saying, it's the story we tell ourselves. Nine times out of ten, it's a fictional story. Not always. And worry creates hurry. What we think creates what we do. So the pagans are running after these things. And it's a complete waste of time. Corrie ten Boom, who was not a motivational speaker, she suffered the horrors of a concentration camp. You may have read her book, The Hiding Place. From that place of pain, she said, worry is like a rocking chair. It keeps you moving, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Fourthly then, there's a priority to establish daily. A priority to establish daily the kingdom of God. Here's what Jesus says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Perhaps we could paraphrase that like this. Instead of putting our energies into worrying, let's put our energy and our priority into the kingdom. What's the kingdom? Well, the kingdom is not that which happens when Jesus comes. It will happen in its fullness then. The kingdom is the rule and reign of God. Jesus is saying, prioritize wanting to see things done God's way. 
Notice as well the therefore of this text. I've been a Christian for a lot of years, and until this week, I didn't notice this. When Jesus says, don't worry, the first word is, therefore, because of this, because of what? Well, the previous verse, verse 24, is you cannot serve both God and money, therefore. I'd never noticed that before. I am not suggesting that all worry comes from rampant materialism. I am saying that Jesus lets us know here that an unhealthy preoccupation with us and our stuff can create that kind of pattern. And notice too that he talks about seeking the kingdom and God's righteousness. What's righteousness? Well, righteousness is simply the right way for things to be done. This is not personal holiness, although it may include that. When God's kingdom comes, when things are done God's way, they are done rightly. Do you know what that means? That means that social justice sits at the heart of the gospel. Yes, issues sensibly approached, issues regarding the environment sit at the heart of the gospel. You see, Jesus is calling us not only to look beyond ourselves, but in calling us to this, we're realizing as well that we have to be sentries of our own minds. You are not your mind. Deep in the heart of you is you. And we can choose patterns of thinking. And it takes effort. 2 Corinthians 10, we take into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We're called to actively be mentally diligent. Now, I, I just want to be honest with you. Uh, I, I don't want to stand up here and give the impression of arrival. In fact, um, just to be honest, uh, I, I'm pretty accomplished at worrying. If there was an honorary doctorate available in worrying, it is possible I might get the call. Why do I tell you that? Some of you are thinking, well, how can you preach to us? Well, my task is to preach the truth and not pretend that I've arrived. I'm on the journey with you. But perhaps, as the Apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content. Perhaps this is a learning thing. Surely it is a learning thing where we take the ingredients, where we say, God, help me to downgrade worry and upgrade seeking you and your kingdom. Well, the last thing is this, and that is disciplines to practice, disciplines to practice, prayer, petition, thanksgiving, and request. Just look again momentarily at Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is facing the truth that this is a learning process. Ronald Rollheiser says this, it is no easy task to walk this earth and find peace. Inside of us it would seem something is at odds with the very, is at odds with the very rhythm of things and we are forever restless, dissatisfied, frustrated and aching. We are so overcharged with desire that it's hard to come to simple rest. And Paul is saying, no, learn, learn to pray. But then he says, don't forget thanksgiving, being thankful. Forgive me, I say this every year, 
Um, and I'm going to say it again now. Almost every year, somehow I get to preach on the 4th of July. My favorite day of the year. And every year someone comes up to me and says, Pastor Jeff, you guys celebrate the 4th of July in England? Why would we? We lost. Hooray! No, we do not celebrate the 4th of July. But there is one festival that I wish we did celebrate. We don't, but I wish we did. Thanksgiving. I really like Thanksgiving because it's a giftless occasion where you haven't got to worry about buying socks for Uncle Fred and where people are generally not under pressure unless, of course, you're a turkey. Thanksgiving, it's a beautiful thing. And Paul is saying here, in bringing your cares and your burdens and your petitions, don't forget to be thankful. I would suggest that thankfulness is a doctrine, a truth in the New Testament that requires more attention. And that if we were more thankful and grateful, perhaps that would have an effect on our capacity for worry. I talked earlier about an early morning mantra beyond Do you want a cup of tea? And this week I discovered a night prayer that with God's help I'm going to start using. It comes from a New Zealand prayer book. Some of you might want to write this down. It's just a couple of sentences. It is night after a long day. What has been done has been done. What has not been done has not been done. Let it be. Amen. Let's pray together. How grateful we are, Lord, That in your teaching about worry, you do not ask us to do the impossible, though at times it feels like that. We invite you to teach us Even, Lord, as we recognize that life involves trouble, we follow a, a, someone who went to a cross. We praise you because you have said you are with us. And we don't always feel that, but we affirm it. Would you help us to see through the marketing myth that worry sells us, that somehow it's going to accomplish something. Help us to know the difference between diligent response to a situation which is appropriate and futile worry which accomplishes nothing. Help us to learn this thing about casting care on you and, and show us what it looks like to put your kingdom first. Help us to embrace healthy disciplines that will create health 
in our own hearts and minds. As our heads are bowed, there is a response that I would like to invite. I think it would be patently ridiculous for me to say, if you ever struggle with worry, please respond, because maybe you're the exception, but most people I know do. But there are some of us right now who are almost overwhelmed with worry. Every week when connection cards come in, the prayer requests are listed. And before coming into this weekend, I read through the four pages of requests. And we as a team pray over them. Knowing this, that we are not exempted from trouble and care. And our hearts are moved when we read through those requests. But some of us right now, we're just kind of overwhelmed. We're not sleeping. Our minds are racing in so many different directions. We're at our wits end. I'd love to include you in a moment of prayer. That's where you find yourself. As I'm just looking around, nobody else is. Would you just slip up your hand and hold it there, please, for a moment? Just do it now. Can I invite you just to lower your hand, but keep it open, maybe resting it on your knee? Can I invite you to do two things? First of all, bring some of those cares to God. Just name them. Bring them to Him. bringing them to him, you're affirming your trust that he is and that he cares. Can I invite you too, maybe we could all do this with open hands, just to express thankfulness, thanksgiving to him. You say, I don't know what to be thankful for. Well, be grateful for life, be grateful for God, whatever you feel or don't feel. Let's whisper words of thanksgiving even as we bring our petitions and prayers. Thank you, Lord, that as we've read in Scripture today, you know, but you invite us to come and tell you. Would you hear the prayers of those who find themselves overwhelmed at this time? Would you grant them an irrational peace? Some of us, Lord, are going to be worried because we're worried. Would you set our hearts at peace? in relentless trust. And again, Lord, would you teach every one of us how to not settle for the new normal, but live a life only possible through your word and your spirit. So we give you praise. We give you thanks. 
In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen.